Well, today we conclude a mini-series within our study in the letter to Colossians. After refuting all that the false teachers were telling the Colossian believers that they were supposed to do, Paul begins to lay out what true followers of Christ are actually supposed to do. Chapter 3 starts the applicational teaching of the letter. But it's so important to remember that as believers, we don't obey God just because it's the best thing to do. We obey God because of what Jesus did for us. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We keep his commandments not because we have to, but because we want to. We keep his commandments not because we're fearful of judgment, but because we're motivated by love, by relationships. We keep his commandments because there's nothing else that will satisfy a heart that beats for the glory of God. There's nothing else higher, nothing better, nothing more alluring than Jesus, his sacrifice, his love. And thus our response of faith and obedience. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We make it our aim to please him in all things that we do. We put to death what is earthly in us. We put off the old self. We renew our thinking and we put on the new self. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus did. It's not a business transaction. It's personal. It's not a contract. It's a way of life. It's not a list. It's a relationship. It's not a formula. It's a lifestyle. Paul could not be making it any more clear that the reason we are to purposefully, passionately, and continually seek the things that are above, to set our minds on God's plan, is because of who Jesus is and who we are, Because we are united with him. In our passage today, Paul summarizes this teaching in verse 17. It says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He said the same truth in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all. To the glory of God. See, our lives are not about us. We are to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. See, our lives are not about us. Whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we are supposed to do it all to the glory of God. The goal of every follower of Christ is that when people look at us, they see Christ-likeness. The goal of our lives is that when people see us, they see the image of Christ being made in us. And we do that from a position of strength. We're to exemplify Christ from a position of advantage. So often I think we start off with the thought, well, I can't be like Christ. What do you mean? Be like Christ? It's impossible. It's just too hard. Now, some of that's true humility. Because, of course, we can't. But some of that's really bad theology. Because, of course, we can't in our own effort. Because, of course, we can't for our own goals and plans. 
But here's the truth from our passage today. Of course, you can become more like Christ because Christ is in you. It is Christ in you that makes you more like Christ. It is his work in us and for us and through us. Because of Christ's death and because of his resurrection, it is because he has killed the power of sin in his death that we can kill the power of sin in our lives. It's because he has put away sin on the cross that we can put away sin in our lives. It's because of his victorious resurrection that we can seek the things that are above. It's because of his powerful raising to new life that we can put on the new self. Biblical change is not muscling up the courage and strength to change. But it's us humbling ourselves under the provision of Christ that through his courage and through his strength, we can change. Colossians 3, 9 and 10 says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Did you notice something of significance in relation to what I've just been talking about? Look at those verses now. Look at what it says. It says you have put off the old self and you have put on the new self. It's past tense. You see, we've already put off the old self. And in Christ, we've already put on the new self. It is in our identification and union with Christ at his death, at his resurrection, that we have already put off the old self and we have already put on the new self. He did it to us at the moment of our salvation, applying to our lives the reality of his death for our sins, applying to our lives the reality of his resurrection and new life. Of course we can't, in our own effort, be more like Christ. Just like, of course we can't, in our own effort, earn our salvation. We are saved only because of Christ. We are sanctified only because of Christ. See, can you see it? It's precisely because of his work, because of his plan, because of his power that we then are capable of now living our lives for him. We can only follow his commands to put to death, to put away the sin in our life because Jesus had already conquered sin. Yes, even the sin in your life. We can only follow the commands to seek that which is from above, to put on the new self, because Jesus has already made us new through the Spirit, with spiritual strength to follow him. You see, we strive to obey God from a position of strength, from a position of victory, from a position of advantage, because all true followers of Christ have been united with Christ in his work in our lives. Can you change from anger being dominating your life? Yes, you can. Because Jesus in you is in you. You can put off anger. You can put on kindness. Can you change from being overwhelmed by worry and fear in your life? Yes. Yes, you can. Because Jesus is in you. You can put off worry and fear. You can put on trust and faith. Can your marriage be saved? Yes. Of course, it can be even more than saved. It can thrive. Why? 
Because Jesus is in you. Can you break the power of addictions in your life? Yes, because of Jesus. Because he is stronger. He's the chain breaker. If you've been walking that same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing that same old voice tell that same old lies, if you're trying to fill the same old holes inside, there's a better life. We all search for the light of day and the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fight. We've all run to things we know that just aren't right. There's a better life. You see, because if you've got pain, he's a pain taker. If you've lost your way, he's a way maker. If you need freedom for saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you've got change, who is a chain breaker? Jesus is the chain breaker. See, I can't stress to you enough that the sin and the selfishness, the lostness in our life is conquerable because Jesus has already done it. And he's already given it to us in his spirit. The challenge for us is not can we change? The challenge for us is are we willing to change? The challenge for us is, are we willing to do whatever it takes to deal with our anger? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to deal with our worry, to deal with our sexual sins, to deal with a hurtful tongue, to deal with a life-dominating addictions? Are we willing to get the help? Are we willing to pursue Christ? Having Christ live his life through us is not easy. You just can't stick a Bible under your pillow at night. Wake up in the morning and poof, right? You're now a great follower of Christ. It's hard work. And guess what? It's supposed to be hard work. That's, that's because having Christ and his life through us means that his priorities have to come first. Means that his desires come first. It means taking up our cross daily. It means self-denial of our lust. It means self-denial of our expenditures. It means self-denial in wallowing in our emotions. It means Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked into your sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. The Christian life is not a calling to be a better person. The Christian life is a calling to be conformed to the image of Christ. And how do we do that? By Christ living his life through us. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, from our position in Christ, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Our position to our practice of our lives, but the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith 
and the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, out of our position in Christ, we can and we must live out in the daily practice of our lives Christ-likeness. Now, I've overly belabored this point for a purpose. Because if there's any hope for real change in our lives, it doesn't come from mustering up our willpower. It comes from humbling ourselves under His willpower. Listen to this paraphrase of Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. It says, let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your, your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think that they could complete by their own effort what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? See, a life begun by the Spirit can only be made complete by the Spirit. A life begun by the Spirit can only be made complete by the Spirit. Folks, I'm on a journey. I'm on this this journey to live this out. I don't have it all figured out. But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and pressing on toward what lies ahead, towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So let's journey this together. Join together in this life quest. To know God, to love God, to serve God, to live our lives for God, to have Jesus Christ live his life through us. Now, if you're taking notes, I have some bad news for you, because that was the introduction. So turn in your Bibles with me, if you're not there already, to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and I want to read. Again, the whole passage, starting at verse 1 through 17. So we can see the whole, the whole scope of the teaching of Christ in this area of our lives. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above. Not on the things of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. 
If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As God has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you have been called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What a powerful passage we've been looking at these last several weeks. Now I want us to look at why put off, why put on the new self? Paul, before he gives us great list of these Christ-like character qualities that we're supposed to put on, he reminds his readers first why. Why put on the new self? Verse 12 gives us three reasons. Verse 13 gives us one reason. Why put on the new self? Because of what God has already done for us. He chose us. He made us holy. He loved us. And he forgave us. Now, I'm sure I am the only parent who has ever said this to their child. I'm sure I'm the only one. Look at all that I've done for you and all that I'm doing for you. Can't you be a little more grateful? Instead of presuming upon my love, can't you respond respectfully because of my love? That's exactly what Paul is saying here, but in an infinitely better comparison. See, God chose us first. As Ephesians says, before the very foundations of the world, God chose us. We only choose him because he chose us. Not one millimeter of your life ever warranted God's choosing of you. He chose you of his own will and good pleasure. Your salvation, your new life has come to you because God chose you. That should bring about a pretty awesome response of gratitude from our lives. God made you holy. He set you apart from sin and unto himself. You are holy because you are God's. You are totally accepted in him, justified by his grace alone. In Philippians 2, it says that we're seated with Christ. The reality that the work of Christ has already made us holy, has already set us apart to God, should inspire us to want to live out a life of holiness in our daily lives. God loves you. We are beloved. He loves us. Our love for God is but a response for his love. He pursued us. He drew us. He adapted us into his family. We are his children Because he loved us first. God loves us. The reality of God's unending love should stir within us greater heights of loving him. And God has forgiven us. We are forgiven. Our sins stood as this impenetrable roadblock. We were totally helpless to get past the reality, the condemnation of our sin. But God proactively took the action. He forgave our sins by Jesus' death and resurrection. And we responded as one only could respond. By putting our faith and trust in him. So why 
put on a new self? Why purposely and, and, and proactively and consistently pursue a growing and changing life in Jesus Christ? Because how else is one supposed to respond to the one who chose you? To the one who made you holy? To the one who loves you? To the one who forgave you? There's this old saying that the greatest form of flattery is imitation. Well, we have one much better than that. For us, the greatest form of love is to be Christ-like. So why put on a new self, which is being conformed to the image of Christ? Because it's the only response one can have from all that God has done for us. Next, Paul lists this awesome representative list of all the things that we're supposed to put on. The metaphor, remember, is clothes. It's a visual thing. We're to take off the old, yucky, rotten clothes. We're to put on the new clothes. So from this metaphor, we can say that we know what a Christian is not supposed to look like. And we know what a Christian is supposed to look like. So what is a Christian supposed to look like? What are we supposed to put on? Look at verse 12 and following. We're supposed to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiveness, and above all, we're supposed to put on love. That is what a follower of Christ is supposed to look like. That is what you, as a follower of Christ, are supposed to be wearing. That's what you're supposed to look like. Because that is what our Savior looks like. Compassionate hearts is tender sympathy, heartfelt empathy. Life is hard. I know. I've been there. I feel for you. I hurt for you. Compassion. Kindness is the friendly and helpful spirit that meets needs through good deeds. It's benevolent action. Romans 2.4 says that it is God's kindness That leads us to repentance. Humility. Humility is not thinking poorly of oneself. Humility is rather having a proper estimate of oneself in the sight of God. Humility is preferring others above ourselves. Philippians 2 says there's no greater example of humility than the incarnation. When God became man and died for our sins. If our Savior could be so humble, how about us? Meekness. Meekness is not weakness. It's power under control. To be meek doesn't mean you get walked over. It means that you have the power to overrule, but instead you put the other person first. Meekness or gentleness is the attitude of refusing to demand your own rights. Patience is a capacity to bear injustice or injury without revenge or retaliation. When a person is long-suffering, he can put up with provoking people. When a person is long-suffering, they can put up with aggravating circumstances without striking back. Bearing with one another is just our way of saying to put up with one another. It's willingly taking the offense It's willingly absorbing the wrong without bringing it up. It's not just that we're supposed to be compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient and bear with one another. It's as we do these things, 
we are then supposed to reach out with forgiveness. We're not supposed to just be Christ-like in taking an offense. We're also supposed to be Christ-like in forgiving the offender. Forgiveness is the logical result of all these other character qualities. It's not enough that the Christian must endure. We must also forgive. And how are we supposed to forgive? Look there at verse 13. It says we're supposed to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. Our forgiveness is supposed to be Christ-like forgiveness. The standard, as with all of these character qualities, is Jesus. The measure of our forgiveness has but one criteria. Is it like Christ's? Above all, we're supposed to then put on love. It's love that binds all these character qualities together in perfect harmony. In the apparel of the believer, love is the belt that connects and holds everything together. Love brings unity. Love promotes harmony. All the other character qualities, you could say, are like spaghetti noodles. All intertwined together in one big mash. But love loves the sauce. That beautiful, delicious sauce that binds all those spaghetti noodles together into one amazing meal. See, the greatest command is to love God. The second greatest command is to love others. The distinctively Christian command from Jesus is that believers are supposed to love one another. Just as Christ loved us, we're to love one another. Jesus' love, our standard, he is our measure. Love is from God. Why? Because God is love. Love for us is something we do. Love is something we put on. Love for God isn't just something he does. He is love. For us, love is not some quality that wells up within us and then comes out. That is not the picture of biblical love. Biblical love is learned. Biblical love is practiced. Biblical love is action. Biblical love is receiving God's love and then giving that love to others. Biblical love supersedes any feeling from within us and permeates our purposeful actions. 1 Corinthians 13. Turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 13. Many of you know this passage. Let's look at it with our eyes. Let's let it penetrate our hearts. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver my body up to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And the last verse. 
So now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Love. You see, it's love that binds all these together. We love with compassionate hearts. We love with kindness. We love with humility. We love with meekness. We love with patience. We love with bearing with one another. We love with forgiveness. So how does the clothes you wear compare with the clothes a follower of Christ is supposed to wear? What piece of apparel are you most lacking? See, biblical change is just not doing wrong stuff, but it's replacing the wrong stuff with Christ-like stuff. When you go to the store to buy clothes, we often take them into a fitting room, right, to, to try them on, to make sure that they fit right. We look in the mirror, we evaluate how they fit. We might even walk out of the room and ask someone their opinion. That's what I always do. We evaluate our clothes. Well, this morning now, right? Step in to the divine fitting room. Step in, walk in there. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror of God's word and evaluate your clothes. Evaluate what you're wearing as a Christian. What do you need to take off? What sin is there that needs to go away? What do you need to put on? I guarantee you that as you stand in that divine fitting room, there are clothes that need to be changed. So pick one area of your life. Pick one thought that the Spirit is bringing to mind of new clothes to put on where you, where you need to adorn your new self, where you need to put on Christ-likeness. Well, how are we supposed to put on these new character qualities? Through the peace of Christ, through the word of Christ, through the name of Christ. How? Again, the answer is through Christ. Verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Rule is a word used for an umpire or an, an official at an athletic event. We're supposed to let the peace of Christ rule. His will, his plan, his judgment. The peace of Christ is the umpire of our hearts. Especially in our interpersonal relationships. Especially in our interpersonal relationships at church. We are one body. One of the ruling thoughts to govern our actions and attitudes towards others. And especially towards other believers is the peace of Christ. Does it promote peace? The closer believers are to Christ and his likeness, the closer believers are to each other. Next, it says to let the word of Christ dwell in you. One commentator wrote, the words of the Bible, God's written word, are to dwell in believers. That is by study, meditation, and application of the word. It becomes permanent, abiding part of one's life. When the words of Christ become a part of a believer's nature, they spring forth naturally in teaching and in singing. You have no hope whatsoever. No hope of ever becoming like Christ if his word doesn't dwell in you richly. The single most important thing that you can do to help put off that old self and to put on the new self To become more like Christ is to dwell richly in the Bible 
the word of Christ so that the Bible itself dwells richly in you. Back in verse 10, it says there's this, there's this process of change. See, the process of change is taking off the old self, adding on the new self. And to do that, we have to be continually renewed in knowledge. Ephesians 4.23 says we have to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Romans 12.2 says we are transformed by the renewal of our minds. The biblical process of change requires a renewed mind. You have to think differently. You have to look at what you have to put off. You have to look at that. You have to think differently about it. You have to think biblically about it. You have to look what you have to put on. You have to think differently about it. You have to think biblically about it. See, the battle for biblical change isn't just with our hands or our feet or our eyes. The battle for biblical change is in our heart. It's in our minds. It's in our beliefs. It's in our thoughts. To change your behavior, to replace the old self-life to the new self-life, You need to change your mind. You need to change your thinking. You need to think biblically. And the only way to do that is for the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. If you really want to be like Christ, if you have accepted as the call of your life to be conformed to the image of Christ, the single best way to become like Christ is to let his word dwell in you. Read it. Study it. Teach it, share it, sing it, do it, live it, eat it like it's the very sustenance that your soul depends upon. Because it is. Next, we're to do everything in the name of Christ. How many things? Some things? Most things? Oh, all Sunday things? No, everything, everything we do should have Jesus Christ's name stamped on it. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. One final thought. Did you notice the reoccurring theme that happened at the end of the last three verses? Verse 15 ends with, and be thankful. Verse 16 says, with thankfulness in your heart to God. Verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This teaching is the same as 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. One of the demonstrable qualities of every follower of Christ is thankfulness. Evaluate. Are you letting the peace of Christ Rule in your relationships, especially in your relationships with other believers? Is the word of Christ dwelling in you richly? Is it coming out of your life? Because it's so full in your life? Is the name of Christ stamped all over the actions of your life? Does the word thankfulness describe you? So as we go into our time of communion, think and pray and evaluate, change. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Let's pray.
Father, now we come before you so thankful for your word, so thankful for the food, the meal that we just got from your word, the sustenance for our souls, the challenge for our thoughts. Lord, we have come here today to meet with you, and especially now in this communion service, to meet with you and to not just let words go in our ear, one ear out the other, but to let your word, whatever part of your word, is penetrating our hearts, to let it penetrate and to challenge and to change so that we might be more conformed to the image of Christ who gave his life for us. What more could we do but to serve him and love him? In Jesus' name, amen.